0: to another episode of the meta. I am your host Jay Larson and joining me this week we have a very special guest Travis Marg. Uh, hello Travis. Hi, how are you? I am doing well. We are this episode's actually gonna go up a little bit early uh, for when I usually post the meta because we're both traveling to Indianapolis tomorrow
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Gen Con's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm very excited to see everyone there and to see what oblivion has done to <laughs> the events.
0: Yeah, it is actually a, a pretty exciting uh, time to be playing War Machine and to, to see what people bring. Absolutely. Um so I guess to to start off, why don't we have you introduce yourself and for those who, who may not be aware of who you are. Absolutely. Uh so I'm
1: Travis. I am uh so I was a press ganger when we had that program. Uh, I run, I help run local events. Um, I am a judge for Privateer Press in the program that still remains, and I am an infernal for their rules team. So, uh, amongst the different jobs I do, I help run Gen Con, Adepticon, and Lock and Load for Privateer Press. Um, I officiate most of the events there and set up the events and organize them, as well as working with a uh, committee and uh, Nathan Hoffman to get uh, ATC and WITC running in the states um, so we run the, the Wisconsin team championship which is WITC and that runs in August 24th I believe of this year uh, normally it runs in the July to September time frame and then the ATC is going to be sometime in spring of this next year or, uh, between early winter spring sometime in that we haven't finalized the date yet um, but we're working on that, and we run those events. those are team tournament events. And uh, I am a avid collector of the game. I have nearly every mo- I do have every model in the game. and nearly like just every product they've Privature press has ever produced. So I'm probably pretty close to the f- most fanboy you can get. Uh,
0: I think that's th- a I think that's a pretty safe statement. <laughs> yeah I, there are there are a couple people that have more models than me.
1: Um, but it is not many, and I don't actually know, like, really if they do or not. Um, but that the, I live and breathe private press stuff. I do uh, the rules stuff for the Infernals, so I help uh, the dev team as much as I can with erratas, uh, rulings, uh, trying to work through the kinks that, uh, not necessarily that are rules problems, but are, like, playstyle problems, so things that come up in the judge documents and things that come up during tournaments, and trying to streamline that process as best I can.
0: Awesome. Um, for, for those of you who have not had a chance to see it, Travis has an amazing setup in his basement of basically a shrine to private press, where he has <laughs> um, a bunch of display cases from ikea that he has modified so that they have extra shelves in there and uh it's pretty impressive i, I, I have to say
1: <laughs> yeah i'm i'm very happy with it i've got uh 12 day with uh extra shelves in every one of them that can hold them except for things like uh the archangel the stormstrider old witch 3 Um, The Mountain Kings, they kind of prevent me from putting extra shelves in. But um, I've got extra shelves, and that's basically full now. So I'm almost going to need a 13th case, which is uh, pretty exciting. And then I've got just a ton of artwork because I'm a collector of artwork and uh, memorabilia. So like the RAM mugs, which I'm excited to get another one for. Um, Just different concept art. Like I'm – as much as I can get unique stuff, I try to get it. So I'm very – very happy to have the stuff I have. Very
0: awesome. fortunate, too. So the main reason why we wanted to have you on is because Infernals is actually releasing the official launch is <laughs> happening this week. Absolutely. And you I, I have two or three friends, including you, I'd say three, who, for whatever reason, They have been kind of obsessed with the release of the Infernals. Yep, And probably more, I've never really seen anything like it in a faction release for Privateer Press. There's, for whatever reason, there's, with Infernals, there have been a few people who it's just been, they've been waiting for it for a really long time. And now that it's here, they're really excited. And yeah and I can ahead, definitely but... agree
1: with, I can definitely agree with that because that's something that um I had the luxury of finding out uh infernals about six months before lock and load last year and keeping that secret until lock and load and then finding out um like the potential of what they were going to be and like how they were going to play and what like the the like the the design kind of aspect of it not necessarily the final is of anything but like how they were intending things to play um once i knew that i was like oh this faction's all me like i couldn't couldn't stop like i had such a hard time even playing other factions because i knew what was coming
0: right um and for for those who may not know um infernals have two theme lists one is named dark legacy one is named hearts of darkness and dark legacy is named after you and after the forum avatar name that you've used on forums is, is that correct
1: absolutely so dark legacy is actually um was my forum handle for a very long time i actually took it from uh, match the gathering because like the legacy uh, artifacts of weather light and tempest that kind of that block series uh really uh spoke to me and so i did dark legacy and then Um, as soon as I found out the Infernal Faction and knew it was coming, uh, Will Pagani and Jack Coleman started doing a little petition within Privateer Press to get something inside the faction, uh, named Dark Legacy. And we're trying to get potentially a master, um, but, uh, the names had already been picked and like their themes had already been picked. And so it was a little hard for that, but they managed to either get, I was hoping for either a feat name or a theme force And then, um. I found out on one of the days when I got a document to review the theme forces, the oblivion theme forces, I got to see the uh, infernal theme force. And then I was like, just blown away that they had picked uh, dark legacy, be the infernal theme force. It's, it's really odd actually seeing dark legacy posted all over the place in the infernal group.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So it's a, uh, it's something that's very cool. It's a, it's a really great honor. And I'm like still beyond stoked that uh that happened and that i was able to be given that honor
0: awesome so real quick i'll i'll talk a little bit about the the format of the meta and uh, then we'll dive into things so in general i'll I'll interview people and we have a a first podcast that where we uh, cover topics and this podcast is free and then people who back us on patreon um it if they pledge at one dollar then they can listen to the second podcast we'll be doing part b um our, our intent is that with the part a if that's all you listen to it's it still is a satisfying experience but if you back um part b then you will get even more information Um, But also, the other backer level you can do is at $2, and at $2 you can join into a a Discord channel that I have created. And one of the benefits of that is you can suggest people for me to interview, or you can also, uh, before I do an interview, I will um, throw out ask if there's any questions that people want to uh, have the, the guest cover. And so that's the that's generally the first thing that we start with is the, the questions from the, the Patreon backers. And so that's what we'll, we'll go ahead and, and dive in with some questions for you, Travis.
1: Well, that's excellent.
0: Okay, so Hawk Frost says, how do you handle the mental game of playing versus summoning? It feels like a constant uphill battle until about turn five. Uh, so what I end up, you said playing versus summoning? Yeah, playing against summoning. So uh, you, oh. you've been playing a lot of um, Infernals yourself. Have, have you played a, a mirror match yet? Or uh, conversely, have, have you noticed any like tips, tips that it seems like your opponents, if, if where they've been able to deal with it well mentally, uh, sure. playing against the summoning mechanic?
1: Sure. So the, the main things I've noticed, there's two main things. Uh, excuse me. One... When the summoning happens, sometimes players will be too aggressive with the summon, and if you can take that summon for free without uh, them getting to use it, it really puts them a turn behind because that you've you've erased that item, uh, erased that horror from their the repertoire of being able to use that for the next turn because they're really trying to plan a turn in advance. So when when you're playing against Infernals, you need to be planning about like, where is the best spot they're going to put in, put a horror at and how are they going to prevent me from doing something? Um, so the primary keys to think about in that are you're watching for where a tormentor can countercharge you and be the best block where a desolator can be summoned to put that cloud out to prevent you from seeing something and where a shrieker can be placed to prevent you from getting orders are the primary, um, Uh, components that I worry about when I'm watching uh, someone play is like where can you where can you put a shrieker so you can't get cast spells or give orders uh, or receive orders or where can you use a desolator to really kind of prevent and bottleneck people Um, and so it's really paying attention to how they place their horrors um, to get that benefit Uh, something to be careful about is watching where you put where they put lamenters uh, because the plus two or the minus two to attack rolls for anything that has a soul uh, is actually quite difficult to overcome in some lists because putting that the, the dice curve from a 13 to a 15 actually has quite a bit of impact uh, on on how play, people play and how people have to boost and spend their focus. So you can you can actually trade up with lamenters really easily. So people have to properly place them if you can take two of those in a turn or even all of them in a turn you can really swing your later turns by punishing the Infernal player for not necessarily placing their horrors in the correct spots. Now, a skilled Infernal player will try to minimize that as best as possible. So you have to, like, there's that, the whole mental game of how can you play to counter their play, and thinking two or three turns in advance um, is key. Something that uh, is easier said than done, and I will fully admit that it is easier said than done, especially when you're playing against Zadroth, is killing their cultists. Um, so something that I have experienced uh, multiple times now is the game for the Infernalist, especially right now. So in the early stages, before we have Roger, before we have uh, The Gate, which is going to be coming out in the next couple months, but that's going to... Those Roger and The Gate really change... Real,
0: real quick, a question with The Gate. Yep. Um, I believe they're that's being sold online during Gen Con, so will that be considered officially released at that point it is pre-released and normally i'm I'm actually not
1: sure i'll have to find out about that so um, my my
0: understanding is is generally if it's sold on the website during the comm it is considered an officially released model
1: i believe so as well so um i'll just verify that because it does get weird uh with like the availability at that time um, appreciate sure. it seems
0: like they're doing things a little bit different this gen con compared to most as well and so
1: yeah um, and we'll, we'll pop right back into that because I think that's a, an excellent point to bring up so let's uh talk about that right after this I think the the, the thing with uh, Roger and the gate is they ease up your essence burden right uh, both by the summoning mechanic and the uh, harmless exaltation and the free summon of Roger that without those guys without either of those models in play, the game is much harder for the Infernalist. They're they're playing a, a game where they're going to be strapped for essence every turn. So I've had uh, experiences where if my cultists aren't placed properly so that I can always feel my horrors, or if my cultists get randomly sniped out by a deviating AoE or by a catastrophic explosion, I've had that happen to me like three times now, where it's I like kill something with catastrophic explosion, and it perfectly deviates on top of my um, cultists, where it's it's just like, they just disappear. Nothing I can do about it. Um That kind of getting the cultists and getting the support off the table quickly is going to help you out. Um, if you can kill Valen, you kill Valin. If you can kill the gate, you take the gate. Um, if you can kill cultists, you kill whatever cultists you can get, even if it is one or two of them, uh, because they're going to be planning around both keeping the cultists alive for the sacrifice mechanic and for the essence gain and the healing from the, the cultists. So if you can kill two of them a turn or three of them a turn, by turn three you'll have equalized the pressure they can bring and that's going to cause the Infernal player to really sort of have to like really plan their turns out. Um, if you can kill Volin, that's going to prevent the infernal player from moving through their entire army all the time. And that's going to like slow down their play and make their play a lot harder and really just kind of put that tax of playing the game back on them. Um, because I, I believe when you start the game against infernals, the, the onus of the tax of like the mental tax, the mental war that you're playing with your opponent is on the opponent of the infernal player. And as that opponent, you want to push that back onto the Infernal player as hard as you can, as quickly as you can. And by killing cultists or killing the support pieces, if you can get to them, is really going to solve that problem.
0: One of the things that I've noticed when, when talking about the mental game is, I, I, th- I think it's helpful if you start the game recognizing that it's the flow of the game or the feel of the game is going to be different than what you're used to. and. I've had instances either watching an Infernal matchup or me playing Infernals where, like, if if it was a normal matchup and if I were to hit pause in the matchup at that point and look at the board state, I would be like, oh, well, this Infernalist is is going to get blown out because this board state looks awful for them. But when you start looking at, like, how how summoning affects things, how the long uh, flow of the game goes, it it can change how that is. And there's a lot of players, it it kind of feels like where they're used to being able to have a feel of what the game, what the state of the game is. And that doesn't necessarily, the the game doesn't feel the same when you're playing against Infernalists. And, and so I I think one of the the things that can help your mental frame of mind is first of all, heading into the game, just kind of recognizing that that that's going to be the case I think can help with that mental frame of mind um but also I, I think that that decreases that feeling of unsettlement or your inability to gauge the state of the game uh, compared to to normal uh will obviously decrease the more you get more matches up versus the infernals as well
1: absolutely and to to add to that i think if you think about like a normal war machine and war machine or normal hordes versus war machine whatever game that does not involve infernals I think by turn three, most players will have a really good feel for how the game's going to go. Right, right, right. The game's either going to be over, the game's going to be close to over, or the game's going to go to seven. Like, you you know those those facts. Like, either they've won on the top of two or bottom of two, the game's going to end in three or four, or the game's going to end in seven. Like, there's no five or six the game kind of ends. Like, you get that feel. You just know that. With Infernals... I think that that stretch of how the game's going to go stretches into five, six, and seven more. So you don't really get, unless you can assassinate the the master early, you're not going to get a game where you don't really feel comfortable calling it until turn five or six, where they can't summon every turn and they have to pay, they have to allocate essence. Um, that's the worst feeling in the world for me as an Infernal player is ever allocating essence. And if I have to, I know that it's already on attacks on me because I've had to think about how my next turn is gonna go harder than I used to.
0: Right. Right. Well, hopefully um, that gives some some suggestions on dealing with the mental game versus summoning. Yeah. Um before we move on to the next question, you had mentioned you wanted to touch back around Gen Con.
1: Yeah, so like um a cool thing about Gen Con with the, especially like the gate coming out, um, if that's an actual full release of the gate where it's actually because of being on the website and being a release, that'll be really cool for Infernal players because that model is one of my favorite models in the faction. And it helps literally every master out playing the game because even though we don't have Howlers right now, I love running the Infernal Gate with Griever Swarms and uh, being able to have the reduced cost for summoning, having that nice 12-inch shot, having a ARM-19, soon-to-be ARM-21 uh gate literally like it forces your opponent to deal with it and it's it's really really useful from uh an infernalist toolbox of what to play and so i'm i'm really hopeful that uh it is a full release so that people can start exploring that model inside their games and it helps like really like balance out the lack of
0: a couple of the key solos that we're missing with this gate right i'm i'm curious how what what percentage of the list that you've created, would you say that you've put the Infernal Gate in so far?
1: So every, so besides the lists where I built specifically for model releases, right? Uh, every list would have a gate. I I am a complete fan of having the Infernal Gate. Um, there were a couple games in the the CID where I played without it, and I felt like I was just lacking something. And the the Infernal Portal making the reduced cost both for regina and your infernal master helps so much to uh release that to lower that uh that burn of the essence and be able to really push forward uh with how you want to play um so like the dark abyss is so good gate of the worlds is so good like it's really hard to not like that model and
0: real real quick for, for the players who, who may not be familiar with what those abilities do, what, so, um, when you talk about those abilities, what are the effects that you, you like that the, the gate sure, is providing? Sure. So, like, the
1: Infernal Portal is when um, a model summons a whore within 8 inches of it, it reduces the essence cost to summon it by 1. So it's really nice for summoning a 4 essence heavy for 3 essence. Like, that's right. straight gain right there. Like, why not? Uh, it allows uh, Regina to summon a lesser, or a light, and still cast Deceleration on the turn that she's summoning, which is super useful for her. Um, Dark Abyss is the ability that when you spend soul tokens off of it up to three, you can return a smaller medium-based uh, soulless grunt to their unit. Um, so it really brings back your Griever Swarm. It brings back your Howlers. Um, they have one health, but it doesn't really matter when you have an extra guy and or three extra guys. Um, so it really it's really cool to pair with uh, the Vengeance off the Howlers, and it's really cool to keep a Griever Swarm back to keep Dark Abyssing the whole unit back into play.
0: It also, if, if you're doing the Howlers, which are the, the medium-based infantry that are, are pretty sturdy, um, I mean, another thing that you can do when you bring them back with one hit point is the Occultists uh, do have the option of healing them back up. and so Absolutely. There, that is some pretty good synergy as well.
1: Yeah, because you just summon them back towards, uh, keep them in formation, but you summon them back towards your cultists, and the cultists are like, oh, here, have some health. And then your next turn, the hollers come diving back in, and it's, it's actually a really cool strategy. I, I'm very happy with how the gate came out. Um, I'm actually really impressed that they actually toned down Gate of the Worlds uh, because at the incarnation right before release, it was you could spend up to five souls to move five models. I know,
0: Um, and I so wish it still did. (laughs) I
1: do too, but it it's pretty it's for the good of the game that that model got uh, reduced a little bit, um, so that you can't teleport, effectively slipstream. Uh, So what it what it says is, uh, once per turn during its activation, you can spend a soul token to place a friendly faction model within five inches of this model, completely within two inches of its current location, and you can only be placed once per turn. But it's what it's there to do is to like if you put a tormentor into play and you need that extra two inches of uh, distance to get a, a threat off, or your master uh, Amadeus needs two extra inches to teleport or to dive into someone, you can use Gate of the Worlds, Gate of Worlds to uh, sling them forward and to extend your threat ranges. It's a really neat extension for threat ranges in the game.
0: So. I have a quick question for you about this ability and about this change since you brought it up. And, and you might not be able to comment on this, but my understanding is that one of the reasons why they removed that you know, you can't spend multiple souls to teleport. Uh, to teleport was to stop a turn one slinging spells into the deployment zone. Yeah, we, we originally were uh, doing a
1: bunch of different ideas on how to fix both Agathon and Zadaroth from slinging spells into deployment zones. Um, Zadaroth being the lesser concern right, than Agathon right, right. because um, Agathon with a full cultist squad with Auron uh, getting five souls onto Oren to reroll five attack or damage rolls off of Agathon with uh, Agathon's feet. Like, it just proved to be... Like, you could 50% kill a caster like 50% is too high of odds for a turn one kind of kill right and so we originally looked at it um, we made a mistake and forgot that as FA2 and like for whatever reason we completely forgot that as FA2 um, in our investigation and then it's like okay fine uh, the gate of the world's cha- gate of worlds change needed to happen no matter what I think if it had released with the five teleports I think that would have been one of the first nerfs to it would have been to remove the five teleports um, from the model because for 12 points like that is you could summon three guys and still teleport two to three guys pretty much guaranteed and potentially more so it's it's just something that was it was too good and um, I think toning it back put it in line with a lot of the other uh, structures and it's still like I as an infernal player I'd love to have the 5 but I'm I'm okay with the 1.
0: Sure. I can't really disagree with anything that you've said.
1: <laughs> it, it, Cuz it, it's like it's just hard to be like you have extra 2 inches on every model you want every turn of the game. It's just it, right. it feels too good and sure. um for 12 points like if it was a 16 or 20 point structure I could see the 5 the 5 uh teleports. But, like, for 12, that's so good with all of its other abilities. It's, right, right. It's just too much.
0: One, and this this part you probably cannot uh, comment on, because it's mostly just me wishlisting. But <laughs> they they just came out with the adjustment on the foreboder, on the dynamic adjustment. And they, they added the, the rule that you cannot channel through it the turn it comes into play. I, I don't necessarily have a ton of issues with that, but... I do kind of wish that – so they, they added on a rule where it can be placed within three inches of, of where the solo that you're sacrificing was, which yeah. doesn't really seem impactful to me at all.
1: <laughs> the So what we're trying to do is we don't want to give an ability that would make it like an auto-summon, um, so it, it had to be a choice, and for a lesser um, – it, it was just more of can we bring it to safety? Can you have it skitter around? Um, there, there are some ideas, but it was just it was it was the one idea that they kind of grabbed onto the most and, right. and stuck with it because it, the the issue is we had options of um, like the game you couldn't change summoning you can't change the summoning range so you can't like reduce it off a of command tw- the command twelve because that was static across every master so it was a very uh, formulaic type ability. And then you can't really change the gate of the worlds to prevent this because you just take two gates and you solve the, or you take two infernal gates and you solve the problem. Um, so it was really either something had to happen to both Zetteroth and Agathon or something had to happen to the foreboder. Sure. And so the foreboder is the one that got hit in it faster than anything else. It does. Right. Right. uh, it does make Agathon's game a little harder. It does make, uh, game a little harder. Um, I do agree I'll probably never summon one, but you know what? If I have to summon one 1% of the games to go, I'm going to need an arc node next turn because I'm sacrificing my one right now, that might be a play that's still worthwhile. And so um, it's something where you contesting a zone, or if I need to go get a zone and now my uh, my running or my movement of my master and the foreboder if it's nine inches too far, like I can now get to a flag or get to a zone more. So there's sure, like situational sure. um, scenario elements that make the foreboder still a, a piece to sometimes summon in. Um, it's just not like an auto summon now. Um, it's something that you have to think about, something you have to kind of plan two turns ahead. Um, and as a as an Infernalist, that's hard. Like it sucks that I can't just summon a foreboder and cast the ghost walk where I want to or cast... Um, uh the dark fire or soul fire i forget if it's dark fire or soul fire that uh agathon has i think it is dark fire but uh like the potential exists like it could have been cool if we could have cast non combat non offensive spells through it um and it shames me a little bit that i didn't think about that till just right now um like sure, that would yeah have been yeah it. yeah that would have been a neat change to it. Instead of it not casting at all through it, you just couldn't cast right. spells. Sure. Um, that would have been still useful at that point. I didn't even think about that till now. So that, uh, that bothers me a little bit. I didn't, that didn't pop into my head until just discussing it with
0: you. <laughs> it, the, one of the changes that I would have, if, like, I don't necessarily have an issue with the, if, if for the good of the game that it needs to have the delay on the spell, okay, mm-hmm. um, the, the buff's, thing that you mentioned is, is interesting but one of the things that i think would have been pretty interesting to see as well is um if for the foreboder summoning a lesser if you didn't have to sacrifice the master, mark Soul. or the mark soul yeah yeah
1: that that is also something that like the consideration for that of like can you just summon in a foreboder without having to worry about it that would have been neat too um yeah. there's a there's a couple neat directions to it there's Nothing that um, says that it can't be revisited later um, based off of community feedback, Um, not necessarily saying that people should flood the thing saying, (laughs) hey, I hate hate this, because that's not really what I'm advocating. I'm saying if you find yourself never summoning a foreboder because its benefit is weak, it's important to give that feedback saying – well, I can't use this. It's just not effective. And maybe we evaluate it again later. I'm not sure. There's a lot of stuff going on.
0: Right, so it's, yeah.
1: it may not be something that ever really gets touched, um, but it, it's still something that could be very useful. And uh, paying attention to that and kind of just keeping your feedback so that you can be ready in the future when it's like, hey, look, this might come up again. Let's talk about it. And so that that's something where it could be very useful.
0: Okay, let's dive back into another question. Absolutely. The next one is from Dr. Glenn. He says, "How important is it to target solos if you're playing against them? For example, is it worth trading down to kill them or do you just do targets of opportunity?"
1: So I found that if you can kill, so my my first summoning, my like I've almost a set summon order in my head, um it really depends on the terrain on the table, so like it changes a little bit. But like Saxon Orc is almost always my first sacrifice. Yeah. And then I will then I will most likely go into one or two wretches. Um and then after that is where it gets super iffy. So if you can speed that process up on me, where I have to not sacrifice like if you can kill a wretch, you kill the wretch. Um if you can kill Eilish before he gets to do his thing, you kill Eilish. If you kill if you can kill Roger, you definitely go after him because that's a free summon. Um so it's you try to kill like I would be okay trading like even an eight to a 12 point for that solo because you're you're knocking 10 points off the table you're knocking nine points off the table so like you can trade down but still be trading effectively up or even
0: here's here's a i guess maybe an interesting example um let's say that he has a target of opportunity on a wretch and let's say he's playing signar and he can walk up and get say an eight point Jack, like a firefly or Sentinel, maybe something like that. Yeah. With, with the understanding that if he moves them forward like that, that he's going to lose the Jack next round.
1: Yeah. It's dead no matter what, like it's in charge range of a couple other horrors or whatever at that
0: point. Right. 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 Yeah. If you're going from the understanding
1: that hey, if I can, al- if I can almost guarantee killing this wretch, go for it. Um, killing those two solos turns their five turns of summoning normally down to three because after a point i'll almost stop summoning um unless the game gets really dire uh and that's gonna be a really close game and you'll be able to see that the game is really close at that point because they're going to be struggling um but if you can prevent them from going saxon Nisia, uh retch retch and if you can eliminate two of those all of a sudden they have to go into Val they have to go into uh eilish they have to go into runewood if they have to summon off of any of those models you're winning the special ability game right the other key fact to pay attention to is to pay attention to what abilities on their side of the table they need so for example uh if you have a lot of knockdown trying to get rid of valin really fast is really important if you can get rid of like Uh, if you rely on Pathfinder, getting rid of Runewood's really important. If you rely on, if they rely on Pathfinder, sometimes they need to keep Saxon alive. And so it's, it's the, the plan of how, what solos provide which benefit the most. Because I'll, I will never sacrifice my third wretch until the game's like almost assuredly in my favor. Because that wretch is hugging my master to give them stealth. Unless, my opponent ignores stealth and then I'm not caring about it. Right. But it's you you want to like prevent those kind of plays where it's like, hey, I'm gonna have a wretch a next to my master the rest of the game because stealth is going to prevent you from doing all your cool things. And so it's really trying to play into that thought process of what solo and what cultists are the most important ones in the game and eliminate them as fast as possible. Again, with the caveat that Zatteroth makes that very difficult.
0: Right. Right. One thing one thing I will say um about this situation as well is let's let's try to use the same example again where you're sending in say the Firefly to kill a wretch and you're expecting a heavy to come in and and take it next round. One of the things that I think behooves you or that you should be looking at as well is how are you going to counterattack the next turn or try to trade up the next turn or whatever. So if if you're able to, for example, move that Firefly up and, and get the kill and you know what's going to be coming or you suspect what's going to be the Infernalist is going to be sending in to kill that um, that Sentinel or whatever you need to be asking yourself okay I, I kind of have an idea where there's going to be a model next turn what am I going to be setting up to try to deal with that next turn and if, if you can start kind of predicting or getting the two or three turns ahead uh, train of thought as well, then that's also going to make it so that it's a lot more palatable trade um, when you're trying to kill those solos.
1: Absolutely. And like that's something where if you spend an eight point heavy or like an eight point light or even like a nine point heavy, if that's uh, what you're running with one of the factions, um, like there's a potential where you might not be able to or want to send something in there. And you might just trade up because you put enough stuff in the counterattack range to punish them severely enough and if you can if you can play those threat ranges uh like very uh coily where you're just like no i'm not going to give you enough i'm just going to give you this one thing and then we're just going to trade these one or two things if you can make those trades hurt the cultist player or the infernalist player that's going to really like add up over time
0: yeah yeah okay let's move on to another question absolutely so this one is from kovnik nine Uh, he says, is Harkovich Pacific Rim the best way to terrorize cultists? He says in uh, parentheses, I think so, exclamation point.
1: I'm assuming that is a bunch of victors or conquests shooting uh, AOEs that drift
0: onto stuff. Yeah, I'm assuming that it's going to be he runs probably two victors forward and then cast broadside outside. and, and tries to get drifts into them. Yeah, so what I've found to
1: be like i've played um i played a game against uh why uh, am i drawing a blink on his name now uh, voids your mordekar where i had to be careful about the sprays coming in and killing cultists it's the same sort of mm, thing yeah. in, in my mind where it's you have to be careful about that that threat range of things to your cultists um what i found is you can play cultists about eight inches behind your master and be pretty safe Uh, that far back because with the six inch move and the three inch uh, essence push I think it's Rituals of Shadows the name of the ability but um, the the push of the essence onto the horrors you can play like eight to nine inches behind the line potentially more if you have an Infernal Gate um, which allows you to play back from that with Zadaroth you can play even further back or potentially further forward because of uh, long shadows uh, reducing the range so it's It's something where it's, yeah, it's good. Um, you have to be careful about trenches. You have to be careful about deceleration, uh, because both of those abilities will put the cultists into a region of the game where they don't necessarily die from blast damage. Um, except for like the high explosive blast damage. So pretty much always die from that. Um, but it's like, it's bad. And I'm not going to say it's the greatest thing in the world. The, the big key for that one is to never shoot the infernal models. Um, you always want – because you don't want to randomly hit uh, with that because you, you want to be missing your own model so that you can't Umbro Guardian the random hit into a place where it doesn't kill a bunch of cultists. Right. Um, so that's that's something where I've had to play against uh, – Crucible Guard does the same sort of thing with uh, the Realists. Um the railgun interceptors want to shoot and spray a whole bunch of stuff, and they can get both off. You have to be very careful on what you target and how you target, what order you target, to try to maximize the sprays and the AOE's and the ram attacks and everything else that comes along with uh, those different models to try to to benefit yourself the most. And realize that the infernal player is going to be doing weird things to your 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 plan of attack. They're going to be summoning umbral guardians. They're going to be trying to self-sacrifice attacks away from models to spread them out, uh, potentially teleporting with Zetoros' feet. There's a whole lot of things that could be happening that will change your entire game plan as you're going to – it's really key to be highly adaptive.
0: Okay, so the next question will probably answer this one in several parts, but (laughs) – Um, he, this is from Joe G and he, he prefaces, prefaces by saying that he's excited for this podcast because infernals are of especially high interest to him. Uh, But he says his question is, do you feel that Hearts of Darkness is too high a tax to play on competitiveness of the faction as when Champions is the premier format for Iron Gauntlet? It requires an an Infernals player to own entirely other factions' lists that will rotate through a myriad of options. And if he doesn't, what can a player do to help mitigate this, if anything? Ah,
1: I get you. Um, So the...
0: One thing to to note real quick about the competitive events um, is that he mentions in particular uh, the Iron Gauntlet. I I believe the plan for the Iron Gauntlet, the championship uh, next lock and load, is that they they rotate between champions and masters, and so the next one, my understanding is that it will be masters.
1: That is my Um, understanding as well.
0: But, granted, when you travel to a convention, really there are two competitive formats that you will see at the convention that you can do to earn points to qualify for the iron gauntlet and so and and generally a lot of a lot of people if you're a competitive player you are wanting to play in all the competitive events that you can Absolutely. and so there there i think it is a valid question of um if champions is 50 percent of the competitive format that you have available at a uh, convention you know is is this too difficult of a format for infernalists to play or or too expensive of a format
1: sure um so there's a cop-out qu- there's a cop-out answer which i will attest to right off the bat that is more or less a cop-out is you can play single list into champions if the tournament setup is that way now, that might be too hard of a tax for some people to play. And I fully admit that um, I think from the competitive aspect of Hearts of Darkness, you're looking at three solos, two units, a caster and potentially some warjacks, potentially a colossal because colossals really fit well into that kind of format um, that can be expensive. And I fully agree that it, it is definitely something that is a tax, um, in that effect of a tax on playing
0: champions. Um, one one quick, I guess two quick caveats, though. Um, one is that if, if we're looking at the dollars and, and cents cost of playing the faction competitively, if we were to compare, say, Grimkin or Crucible Guard to infernals your buy-in on the infernals models is actually significantly cheaper than what you would spend on grimkin or crucible guard
1: I, I definitely agree on the crucible guard i think grimkin might be close because the number of heavies um but you're it's probably right on the money where it's the this faction's cheaper than the other factions and the 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 aspect of buying either a new faction or buying a couple models from a new faction or uh, buying them through secondhand or borrowing them or whatever you have to do to get to that level of competitiveness with it, um, I don't think is going to be too much. I don't know what Privateer Press's plan is on if they stick. So, for example, because Malikov 2 and Fiora 3 are in the cycle right now, if a Fiora 1 or 2 is going to be in there and then Malakov rotates out, for possibly like more tenebra one or two and right. then after that protectorate rolls out for circle or if not circle signar or right um uh mercs or whatever at that point um the the other aspect of it is six months and um it's not to me um if you are truly playing for the competitive scene like you are trying to play uh, this is gonna be fun the pun of you're trying to play the meta uh where you're um trying to play the most optimal solution possible, the cost amount of that is not part of the equation to me. Sure, yeah. um, now, coming from a very fortunate person to have all the models to be able to play all the factions, I understand that there's a financial burden to that. Um, but there is the ability that if you are truly playing for the competitive aspect of this game, you're going to play the best options available to you at the time. Which means, particularly for champions, owning two or three factions. And being able to play two or three factions worth of theme forces well. And because you want to be able to say you're just not strong with a certain caster or warlock. You're going to want to switch off to something else. And so it's that that kind of logic of you're going to have two or three factions worth of stuff. And so I don't really see... Infernals being really any different where you're like, I'm gonna buy Protectorate and I'm gonna buy some Cricks, maybe. Or buy Protectorate and buy Mercs, or buy Protectorate Mercs and uh, whatever else, whatever Hearts of Darkness caster like kind of fits your fancy, and then uh, potentially looking secondhand or potentially looking with your friends that like they're not going to be using all the models that you might want to use in that theme force and be able to play around with that uh, for champions. Like There are ways of getting the models that you need to do that, not necessarily through um, just sheer buying power if you needed to try to play the most competitive thing
0: possible. One, one, one of my friends who... His argument with this that I actually feel pretty sympathetic with is he's one of my friends who's been very excited for infernals and he plays Hordes factions Absolutely. because he thinks that Hordes is cooler, they look better. It's just he doesn't he's not excited about War Machine like he is about Hordes, but he is very excited with infernals. infernals. Yeah. And so he's like, you know, I just want to be able to play two Infernals lists, and I don't wanna play a, a men off list or whatever. and Absolutely. And I can and, understand that. But
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that too. Like I, I would like for champions to possibly be loosened a little bit. or like I, That was something I was always considered because at a time, for me, Infernals only had one theme force for a long time in my memory of it. So I was always wondering how champions is going to work with Infernals because you only have one theme force. And so... Um that's always a a weirdness to me is like how do you make that work? I would like to see two of the same theme force, but I know there's the potential and that's not really what the intent of what Project Press is trying to do with it. Right. Um, so I don't think there's a really good answer for it besides right. it being expensive, um which does suck. And I will I would fully admit to it it sucks. Like there is uh quite a few lists that I've made with infernals where it's like Okay, I get that I'm using a certain number of models, but I'm still spending a bunch of money on another faction that you may or may not be interested in playing, and so it's it's hard. Um, And I'll fully admit that I agree to it that it is it is something that's not um, not the same as what other factions
0: get. Right, right. Okay, well, this is going to be the last question from our listeners or from the the patreon backers and it'll probably also be where we end up cutting off on on the first part mm-hmm. um but bansidi says what's the most compelling use that you have found for dark sentinels
1: so i have actually started taking dark sentinels a ton uh with my unit that has orn midwinter in them um i don't particularly or personally really like this Action inside the game, um, so I will still use it because I know it is powerful, but it is not something oh. that I personally like existing in the game. Um, is to have your cultists advance forward and in Orin Midwinter's unit, and the cultists to do something, either hand out essence or to heal or to attack, and then the Dark Sentinels behind them in the back arc killing your own cultists to fuel Orin's uh, souls. For um, rerolls or anything like that. So, um, one of the games I had, I had Orin Midwinter uh, field with five souls at the start of the turn. I had a bunch of stuff go, and yeah. then uh, Oren was depleted on souls. And I'm like, wait, I still have my cultist unit to go. My cultist just massacred itself to give Oren more souls, and so then the rest of my army could use 10 souls worth of rerolls. And so it's a. It's a tactic where you can use Dark Sentinels to do that. Um, I've seen Dark Sentinels do a ton of work uh, with... I think... Who has an armor debuff? Um, Yeah. With Scything Touch and a Dark Sentinel from... uh, Scything Touch from Zadaroth plus Dark Sentinels with uh, Gang, you're really... Because you're hitting at people's S12 normally, right. up to 14 with Gang, up to 16 with uh, Curse of Shadows. So it's like, at that point, a charging Sentinel hits at people's S16. That's harder than a Bane Warrior hits. Sure. And yeah. so, like, if you can use that, and then you can get a POW-13 Hex, Bl- Hex Bolt after the fact from Battle Wizard. So it's like, the Dark Sentinels are actually really good at murdering everything.
0: Um, One of the I'm, things that I've I've been looking at with my list building, I haven't been doing as much of that with... Uh, I haven't been putting them on Orn Minwinters 2's uh, unit. One of the things I've been looking at is having two full units of cultists yep. and having Ornn Minwinter attached to one of those and then having a min unit with a requisition point that's doing three of the weapon attachments For your ambush. That, yeah, that are my ambush op- option.
1: I think uh, either the... Three of them on the or in midwinter unit, or three of them on like that min unit that's doing ambush, um, is a really good usage of the requisition points because getting the 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 dark sentinels, even though they they they're heavily more heavily armored than the cultists, they still have the same armor stat. Um, so it, it, they're deceptive where they look like there should be higher right. armor, yeah. um, but they still really like they can go hold a zone or they can go contest a zone for a little bit. Um, your opponents. If they're on the flank, they really don't fight them until they realize that they're hitting you at PSS pe- 14 on the charge. And if you're properly using them to get through and to to keep getting gang and to keep working on it, I've had them kill a light with three of them by themselves. Like they, they do so much work in melee that people forget that you can get them up to PSS 16 without really breaking a sweat. Right. And for six points, hell yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, so in our next segment, I think we're going to be talking some about the infernal master, some of the lists that you've been looking at and also the, the two theme lists and, and various options with those. Um, but I, I do want to thank you, Travis, for being on this episode. We appreciate you uh, lending us your expertise. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. And, um, the meta is sponsored by discountgamesinc.com, and you can shoot me an email at j at discountgamesinc.com um, for details on our deals that are too good to advertise. <laughs> so, uh, thank you everyone for listening, and especially thank you for the people who are backing us on Patreon. And have a good night, everyone. See ya.